and welcome to my podcast, Soul Expansion and Inspiration. This is Series 3, Episode 11, and my name is Ali O'Shea. Today, I would like to give a very warm welcome to my guest, Mary Cordelia. Is that how you pronounce your surname? Cordelia. Cordelia, okay. <laughs> um, wonderful. It's so lovely to have you here. So pleased to be here. Thank you, Ali. Thank you so much. Um, Mary is a holistic therapist and a neuro alignment specialist. She has over 18 years developing practices that help people work more skillfully with their thoughts and their feelings. This is especially helpful with the law of attraction, one of my favorite topics, <laughs> and the practitioners who work in this field who already have an idea of how the universe responds to their thoughts but don't really know quite how to manage their thoughts. So Mary provides that missing link for me, which is fantastic because I think a lot of people, you know, while we preach sometimes, we don't always practice what we preach. So I've seen you do some lives, Mary, where you give practical um, tools to help people to do this. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, you know, so I usually try and give the tools and then work with them with people like, let's do it. Let's do it here. And it's almost just like building the muscle on the spot. Yeah. Because, you know, once we do something, we own it, you know, and it's so interesting. There's so much information out there, just literally thousands and thousands of techniques. So how are you going to pick the one to use? And then are you going to actually use it? So I like to get to the point where we're actually trying it, like right here, right now, let's do it. And then they feel the benefit and then they're like, oh, and then they own it. Yeah. So exactly. that's my goal is to always get to that place where they own it. It's not Mary saying, oh, this is a really good idea. You should try this. No, it's like, oh, this works. And now it's mine. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've, I, as I said, I've seen some of your videos where you take people through the steps, which is really, really helpful. And, um, you know, people that's what a lot of people I think don't realize is that they have to do the vibrational work yes not just I mean and that does include some actionary work following it but you know the vibrational work and the action work together putting it all into practice so that we can see the results at the end not just listening to somebody and going oh wow that's a really good idea that's yeah. great you really erased my vibration wow yeah. that's amazing it's actually putting them into practice and doing the work for ourselves, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. And there's a lot of misunderstanding around that. Um, I assume that your listeners tend to be maybe Abraham fans. Is that true? A lot of them would be. Not all of them, but a lot of them would be, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I'm a big Abraham fan, and they talk a lot about path of least resistance and floating downstream and hands off the oars and stuff. And I a hundred percent agree. And just this morning I found a recording I've been listening to. I heard before and I kept looking for literally like an hour ago, I found it where they said to a guy, of course it takes effort. It always takes effort. And I was like, finally, and I'm like tag transcribe. I'll be grabbing a hold of it because what they make clear to us is it wouldn't take effort if you were in alignment. Yeah. But if you're, if you have momentum moving in a direction of fear or in a direction of anxiety or in a direction of, you know, hopelessness or in a direction of doubt, even just doubt, if there's momentum in that direction, momentum creates thought. So, you know, law of attraction actually generates the, the additional thought. So you have yeah. to make effort to change the direction of the momentum. Yeah. So that's the effort that's required. It is required if the momentum's the wrong way, but once you get the momentum shifted, 
then what arises is what they called inspired action. And that doesn't ever feel like work. That feels like, ooh, I know, I'll do this. It feels like joy, it feels like play, it feels like excitement. And it might fall into the category of work, mm. i.e. something that benefits you, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. But you don't experience it as work, you experience it as aligned action, as joy, as playfulness. So that's the effort principle and it is essential. And I kept looking for that moment because I knew they said it, I had heard it, but I hadn't, I hadn't kept the recording. I was like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. Yeah. When we, so it's, it's almost like pivoting, isn't it? The word yeah. that is will be pivoting, you know, focus on something better, change your thoughts to get rid of that chain of events that the law of attraction takes hold of for thoughts, chain of thoughts. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Mary, I'd love to just go back. Um, well, first of all, you live on seven acres of woodland in New York. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I don't know if you can see the trees behind, but it's winter here, so all the leaves have fallen off. But I'm sitting in a little cabin in the woods. Oh, it sounds lovely. It sounds so nice. <laughs> and I know you have a, a dog rescue there as well. Yes, yeah, I've got a dog right here pestering me to go out. Still, like, come lie down. Come lie down. Come on. Come lie down. She's like, no, I want to go now. <laughs> How many dogs do you have at the minute? Well, we, it goes up and down literally every day. We have dogs arriving and dogs getting adopted. And so I don't really track the numbers, but I think the number of dogs we're currently responsible for that are here or in foster or in boarding are uh, 45, I think. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Smart. Well, fair play to you um, and your partner because uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great vocation as well. I know it's mostly your partner's work, but um, yeah. you know, um, I love animals and um you know i've got two rescue dogs so it's it's brilliant and i know yeah. you've got most of them in the house don't you we do we have most of them in the house it's a real <laughs> adventure um it's lovely though it's lovely it, it adds that sort of you know the personal touch to the animals that they're really feeling loved and cared for oh yeah that makes all the difference we have dogs that came to us because they were not thriving in a shelter that was essentially a no-kill shelter they were going to get to stay there but they were doomed to a terrible life because they couldn't thrive there. Yeah. And so they came to us and, you know, we deal with whatever they need, if they're dog reactive or if they're sick or if they need surgery or whatever they need, but we do it in a way that they get like love and support. And right now I've got a dog right here. I'm, she's tucked under my arm and I'm petting her. And she was, uh, she was, her human died. She's an old kind of wrinkly lumpy girl. <laughs> And she's a black dog and, and they get adopted less. And so she had a very, very unlikely chance of survival. She was in a high kill shelter. And so we took her and she just sits in my cabin with me and maybe someone will adopt her one day. We'll see. But if not, she gets a good life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so lovely. I love hearing stories like that. <laughs> okay. So let's go back to your childhood, if we could, Mary, a little what? bit. Um, your first, you had an experience uh, when you were somewhere between the ages of eight and 10 on Oxford Street. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that? <laughs> yes, I was on a bus, you know, in London, we have double-decker buses. I grew up in London. And um, yeah. uh, so I was on the upper deck because no self-respecting child rides on the lower deck. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and I looked out the window of the bus and I saw Oxford Street like stretching down and you know, Oxford Street is a really major shopping street. And so there's gazillions of people. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I had this flash into my brain, just like a, you know, now that I know it's a bit like a psychedelic experience, you know, but okay. back then it was just like, wow, like my brain cracked open. 
And I suddenly saw that every single person within my line of sight, and of course by extension beyond, had just as vivid a mental experience as I did. It's like I connected to all these perceptions all at once. And it was kind of shocking, but it was also really invigorating because I just felt this powerful, like aliveness and this connection with other people. So it was my first sort of insight into something beyond the just the mind that thinks of me only and this piece of the world right here, but actually this connection to the larger universe. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Did you talk to anybody about it afterwards? No. <laughs> <laughs> My brain cracked open on the bus. <laughs> uh, I lived in London, so I, and I worked on Tottenham Court Road, so I know Oxford Street very well. So Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so what was your childhood household like then? Was it religious or was it spiritual or was it neither of these things growing up? Neither, but not anything else either. Um, my father's father was a devout atheist. He, um, he was Jewish and he was of that generation that had survived the Holocaust. And um, I remember I asked him one time why he wasn't willing to raise my father Jewish. <laughs> and, and he said to me, my grandpa, he was like 90 years old at the time. He said, have you read Thomas Paine's Age of Reason? And I'm like, um, no. And he said, I think I got a copy here somewhere. <laughs> so, so that was my father's upbringing was with this idea that religion was something that was very undermining for human intelligence. And then my mother grew up, her, her mother was the church organist and she grew up in a Baptist church. And, but both of them very open-minded people. So there was a lot of ideas floating through our household. And then to just sort of compound it, we went to British schools, which there is a state religion in Britain, it's Church of England. And so there's this natural flow of religious stuff in there. We had yeah. assemblies and we said the Lord's Prayer or whatever, but it was a very light version. Undercurrent, yeah. A light touch on religion. Like, yeah, God's there and God's checking out and you should be good because otherwise, you know, you'll be punished. And so when's lunch? You know, it's kind of like yeah. that. Yeah. So that's what I grew up with. So there was a lot of spaciousness in my childhood for exploration and no real rules about what you're supposed to believe. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you had the freedom to evolve yourself. Yes. And I was very scientific too. I went, I, when I went to college, I studied physics. I was very interested in the scientific approach to the world. And so for me that extended into the spiritual world, like experimentation and curiosity and mm. taking all the data and trying to put it together in a way that makes sense. So yeah, right. for me, they've always been very connected. Yes. Yes. Brilliant. Okay. So you also worked as a therapist for many years until one day you said you had a brainstorm and realized that you were working exclusively yourself and your colleagues in the same field. were working exclusively on the lower end of the emotional scale. Yes. Dealing with depression, anxiety, fear, and worry. And while it did help people to feel better, it never really got them to neutral as we want to be kind of more well, more so than the neutral, but it didn't take them beyond neutral. Didn't take them beyond neutral. Okay. Right. And like, what's that for? <laughs> I was, I just, it was, you know how every so often you feel like someone hit you on the head with a two by four. You're just like, how did I not notice this? You know? And it was yeah. one of those moments I thought, where's the space for joy, for creativity, for magnificence, for delight, for aliveness, for where is that? And yeah. it really wasn't in the therapeutic world I was working in. The, the sort of 
tacit assumption, so unspoken assumption, was that, well, you get people to neutral and they'll handle that stuff. <laughs> you know, it's just not yeah. true. So just get them better. Don't get them anywhere further than that where they can experience the joy and the happiness and all that. Right. Stuff. There's this idea of the brain or the mind or the personality or however they're categorizing it as either being broken or not broken. And so if it's broken, you fix it. And then you give it, send them out in the world. And it's such a stupid idea because the truth is it's not broken at all. Mm. It's just we have certain habits or behaviors and stuff, and we need to learn how to change them. And when we change them and get back to neutral, now we have to learn new habits and behaviors that'll move us higher than neutral, that'll move us into appreciation, into delight, into creativity, into love and trust and standing in self-confidence, all that stuff, you know? So that was, that was that moment for me. Yeah. Okay. That's, so that's what really essentially brought you into this work, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. It, it made a big transition for me. I started exploring the happiness world, the coaching world, the spiritual world more directly. I was like, what are people doing to really teach happiness? And then for me, I just work at both ends now because I do understand the dysfunctional patterns can be pretty uh, hard to break. Mm. But once you understand tools to break them and you're teaching the full scale, then there's a lot more motivation. I'm not just taking you to not being depressed. I'm taking you towards what is it you really want? Like, really, you want to write a Broadway play? Let's put it on the list. Let's yeah. put it on the list. Let's start today. You know, and so even though you're still despairing, I'm holding the full picture with you, not yeah. just saying, oh, you're depressed. Let's help you with that. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of giving people more hope before they even get to hope, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's really, I see it as my job. I hold the vision. I'm like, you are not broken and you are not sick. You're just doing some mental patterns. We're working on it. And yeah. when we do it, you know what's possible. And then I paint what's possible for them. Perfect. And it's all about rewiring the brain, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, totally rewiring our brain to create those new habits so that yeah. we can live that better, more joyous, amazing. Yes. yes. And you know, it's when you use the word habits, it just occurred to me, we should clarify, it's not really habits of behavior. It's habits of thought. Yeah. 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 And once we change the habits of thought, the behavior just follows. Mm. So people are trying to change their behavior without changing their thought and they're a bit doomed, you know? It's sort of like if you're trying to get yourself to go exercise and trying to get yourself to go exercise, but the exercise sound feels like a burden and you hate your gym and it kind of smells and the commute's really bad and blah, blah, blah. And there's nothing you like about it. Well, you know what? Very few people are going to keep that up for very long. Okay. And, and the ones who do keep it up are going to talk about willpower, but the truth is partly that they stumbled into something they liked. Hmm. You know, they stumbled into it or they had enough self-respect to, to find their way, yes. you know? And once, if, if you love it, it's a whole different story. If you love doing your exercise, like you can't wait to get there, you don't have to beat yourself up to go. So if you change the thought habits, the behavior habit naturally follows. Yes, yeah. yeah. I have to say I'm not a gym person. <laughs> yeah, me neither. But you know what I started doing, Ali? I started doing CrossFit about a year and a half ago, and I am not a gung-ho person. I walk slow. And, yeah. So you wouldn't think I'd love CrossFit, I love it. Oh you. My God. Yeah. So who, who could have predicted? So we just have to find our own way. Exactly. And it's so important, like when we are talking about exercise, that people do enjoy it because they, 
They're just not going to stick to it if they don't. Not going to stick to it. And actually, from a law of attraction standpoint, even if they do stick to it, it won't work for them. Because they're creating resistance. The action, bingo. The action isn't what's going to do it. We create with our thoughts. And our thoughts are, I hate this. Then you know what you're generating? More experiences you hate. Exactly. It's a little bit like what Abraham says about... It's not the food that you eat. It's the way you think about the food that you eat. Exactly. Exactly. And, and quite often we have these limiting beliefs because, you know, we've grown up with them. Chips are bad for you. White bread's bad for you. Drink is bad for you. All these things. And so it depends how deeply ingrained those are inside of you yes. as to how much that food or that drink will affect you and how easy it is to reprogram your subconscious around those limiting thoughts that you have on exactly. that particular topic and it's the same with exercise yeah it's the same with everything it's the same yeah. with work if you think you really want to have a business you know yeah. and some part of you is like oh no one in my family has ever done it and that's running in the background well it'll affect you yeah, yeah. so whatever it is we must we must change our mindset but the thing that a lot of people don't really understand and this is where i got excited a few years back is they don't really understand how our thoughts and feelings co-create one another and that you can't change your thoughts if you don't change your feelings because feelings drive a certain type of thinking that reflects them. Yeah. So unless you change your feelings, you cannot change your thoughts for more than a little bit because in just a minute later, you're, you're, you're going to start thinking those negative thoughts again. It's just going to happen. So unless you know how to do that, you, it can be really hard to break out of it. Not impossible, but hard. Yeah. So that's what I got excited about teaching people about neuroalignment principles. So that's, that's my thrill is teaching yeah. people to change We might thing. get into that a little bit more now. I'm not sure whether you'll talk about it now when I ask you this, but when you and I spoke the last time, we spoke a little bit about affirmations, okay? Yes, Remember yes. Our conversation? Yes, I do. Can you talk us through a little bit more about smashing through limiting self-beliefs and how to break free of them? Do you yeah. have a little process that you could maybe just enlighten us with? I do. I love the word enlighten. Yeah, I'll do my best to enlighten you. <laughs> I do actually have a process. That just popped out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Thanks. Well, enlightening is what we're always doing, all of us, right? Yeah. We have it enlightened, but just enlighten. It's like if I have this on my hand and I lift it, I just enlightened my hand a bit, you know? <laughs> so, um, yes, I have a little process actually called the three-point turn that I developed to address what I sort of saw as one of the um, common misunderstandings about affirmations. So, well, like the way Abraham likes to put it is the universe doesn't hear what you say, it hears what you mean, mm -hmm. and you know what you mean by how you feel. That's how they yeah. like to put it. And so if you say, I'm abundant, the universe, and, and, and you feel like, Ugh. not really. Yeah, then that's your indication. How you feel is your indication of what you mean. And what you really mean is, I want to be, but I'm not. Mm. And so the universe hears, oh, you want to be, but you're not done. And then you want to be what you're not. You just created, I want to be, but I'm not. So the affirmation actually sort of backfires because we are saying things we don't believe. And that's reinforcing the gap between and that's creating more of what we don't want. And then we're starting to doubt the affirmation process because we said this, but we got this. Mm -hmm. But we said this and we're vibrating this and got this. And when we understand the gap between what we said and we're vibrating, then we can close that gap. And now the universe doesn't have, we don't have to fight so much with it. So 
I have a little process I call the three-point turn, which is designed to do that. Um, shall I teach you real quick? Yeah, sure. Okay, so anyone who's listening along, I actually encourage you to just do it as we do it, okay? Mm -hmm. Because then you'll experience it and then you'll own it, like I was saying at the beginning. Right. Um, so, <clears throat> okay. So first, you just think, all right, let me think how to get into it. So the three-point turn is when you want to do something different, right? <laughs> Whatever that is, whether you want to do it different in this moment or in the future. And so we identify this um, thing we want to do different. And if we want to do it different, right? If we want to make more money or be more kind or eat better, healthy, healthier food or get lose weight, whatever it is, or go on vacation or win a trip to Morocco, doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when we want something, there's a gap between where we are and where we want to be. So the first step we do is we identify that gap. And so you take a breath and you just take a breath and feel into yourself. And you say on this topic, I notice that I'm thinking or I notice that I'm feeling X. So if you want to win a trip to Morocco and no part of you believes there's a trip to Morocco to be won, you notice, oh, I want to win a trip to Morocco. I notice that I'm feeling total doubt, like that's never going to happen. All right. Wow. So we start at the point of noticing what is currently true for us. You know, this is just like noticing how much petrol is in your tank. I notice I'm almost at E. Okay, got it. Yeah. So then we add what I like to call is the three magic words. People who have really taken this on as a practice, just these three magic words, I'm a little dangling to make you excited, not telling you what they are. <laughs> um, people who have just taken this on and nothing else have noticed a change. I promise you they sound like nothing and they're so powerful. The three magic words are, okay got it. That's it. Okay, got it. In those three magic words, you immediately remove the current layer of resistance to the thought. It's so powerful. So everybody who's doing it, just say to yourself, I notice that I'm thinking or feeling with respect to this thing. Just do it. And whatever you notice, you say, okay, got it. Mm. That's step one. It's really simple. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, step two is acknowledging your preference. And so here you have to be a smidgen creative and you say to yourself, what I would prefer to think or feel. Now, notice we're not saying what I would prefer the world to do. We're saying what I would prefer to think or feel. And yeah. what I would prefer to think or feel. And then you just let yourself come up with whatever comes up. It could be anything. And then the important thing is notice how that thought feels. If that thought feels like a bit of relief, then you're doing it right because you've just actually shifted your momentum a bit. Mm. If that thought feels like negative, then actually you need to choose another one. So right here, what we're looking for is something that is true. I would prefer this. It's just true. It's not arguable, right? Yeah. I would prefer, oh, you know, I would prefer Allie. I would refer to believe that I could sprout wings off my back and jump into the sky and fly. Mm -hmm. I love that idea. Now, yeah. I do not actually believe it's going to happen in my lifetime. I really don't. <laughs> um, prove me wrong, universe. I'm open to it. But um, I nonetheless love that idea. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? So what we're looking for is not truth of the universe here. We're looking for our own truth, what I would prefer. So in the case of going to Morocco, I would say, well, what I would prefer to believe is that, you know, I don't know what's out there. 
maybe tomorrow I'll come across an opportunity to win a trip to Morocco. Or maybe, oh, I remember I had that one friend whose, who, whose friend took her on a trip to Antarctica. Well, if that could happen, I could win a trip to Morocco. Mm -hmm. hmm. So I would prefer to believe that could happen. And if you feel relief, then you have accomplished step two. If you don't feel relief, you mustn't go on to step three because going on to step three is going to compound whatever you did in step two. Okay. So step three, so you get that feeling of relief, a oh, little, just a smidgen of relief. Just a little. Those, if relief is the clue that you've turned the momentum on this a little bit. And now we're going to accelerate the momentum a little bit by saying the phrase, one or the, one or the other of, I like thinking about, or wouldn't it be nice if, and again, you got to feel your way forward, whichever is least resistant for you right now. So, oh, I like thinking about, oh, I know having one of those mint teas in Morocco where they take the, 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 the teapot and they pour it and they lift. And so the, the tea falls a long way and bubbles up and then it's all bubbly in the glass and that hot mint tea. Oh, I like thinking about that. So now what I've done is I've really entrained myself into alignment with being in Morocco and having tea. Mm. So this is the trick. And the whole thing is to, you've got to use your feelings to test how you're doing this. But if you do this now, you've just turned a negative thought into a positive experience of it happening. Brilliant. And now you have just aligned with the actual happening of it. So that's my trick. It's called the three-point turn. Brilliant. That's brilliant, Mary. And I, I do believe that's on your website as well. It is. It, it is. Yeah. I don't think it's linked. Oh, you know where you can find it? There's a page um, where it says mericudelia.com slash free resources. And I'm pretty sure that's on there. And if yeah. not, I'll put it on I today. think it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good. Uh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for explaining that to us. I love that. That's a really... It, 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 and it's also bringing visualization into it as well there at the end, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. as well for the law of attraction, obviously, as you know, um, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So um, I was going to ask you, how would you say it is the easiest way for people to get from there to there without mucking it up? Because quite often we're, as humans, we, we do say, and as Abraham says, you can't get there from there. So do you have anything that you could help the listeners with, you know, if they've got a really big gap in what, where they are now to where they want to be? Maybe it's some of the processes you've already talked about, but maybe you have something else as well up your sleeve. Um, for this little process of, you know, how, how to help them to, to move along that sort of that little scale to get yeah. to the other side. Right. So Ali, is what you're saying, there's a particular thing for a person that's kind of a thing that is a bigger one for them. They don't seem to be able to get it to work or they keep doing the same thing, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. We all have one or two of those, by the way, or more, but we all have one or two. I think you know, I, I've worked with a lot of people over a lot of years and we just, there's just more and more and more to grow on. So don't feel bad if you have one of those because yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're just human, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> the thing to remember about something that's been either going on a long time or seems really difficult, um, 
is that there are an awful lot of thoughts and feelings you've had about it. Mm. And they're almost in this pile <laughs> that's just sitting there waiting to be reactivated. Yes. And there's so many of them. There might literally be thousands of thoughts and feelings or hundreds of thousands or millions, perhaps, mm. I don't know, related to this topic and how it's never going to work for me, that kind of thing. Now, it doesn't matter how big that pile is if you don't activate it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, unfortunately, when you do activate it, because it's so big, it can just like, just gets, the momentum on it is really quick. I would describe this as really well-established neural pathways. So you think one thought, and one thought by itself is just like a soap bubble. It just comes up and then it's gone. No big deal. Mm. But you think one thought and then it triggers another thought and then it triggers another thought and another thought and another thought. And now you have this whole chain and you're tangled up in it, right? Yeah. So if you've had the many, many, many of these thoughts, they're going to come to you very easily. Thoughts you've thought before come all the time. Like, for example, if I say to you, an apple a day, it's the doctor away. <laughs> your brain just says it. Now, who believes that? I don't know. I don't think anyone believes that. Yeah. But your brain says it, right? Mm. Your brain just said it. So that's the, that's the conditioned mind. It just mm -hmm. says what it's used to saying, whether it believes it or not. And if we've had a lot of momentum on negative thoughts, it's very easy for us to think them again. That's all. Not a big deal, really, if you know how to stop the momentum. And so the trick, really, for someone who wants to go from here to there, where it's a long gap, is you have to... In this exact moment, this one right here, right now, this is the moment you have to do your work. What happens is we think, oh God, I'm going to have to do this forever. And we've got this projection out into the future or, oh God, I've been doing this forever. And we have this projection into the past and suddenly it's this, this behemoth that you can't deal with. But all of that is just thoughts. Yeah. That's all it is. It's just thoughts. There's no reality to that whatsoever. The, the future is an imagination that probably isn't going to happen that way. And the memory, the, the past is just a memory trace. The only thing that's real is right here. Mm -hmm. And so if you come to this here, right here, right now moment, not tomorrow, not, not forever, not every time I go to the loop, nothing, just right here, right now and catch it then you shift the momentum and then you do it again and you shift the momentum and you do it again and you shift the momentum. And pretty soon, no matter how big that thing is, those, those habitual thoughts aren't getting triggered. Instead, you're able to trigger new ones. Mm. And so that's the real key on something that seems huge and has a lot of momentum in this moment right here. It's not huge and doesn't have any momentum. It's just one thought yeah. and we can deal with one thought, you know? Yeah. It's when people get to overthinking, isn't it, that they... Oh, yeah. And more, once more, the mind more. is gone like that, then it activates all these neurochemicals like adrenaline and like cortisol, all this stuff that makes you feel sort of anxious. And now that anxiety feeds more thoughts and the thoughts feed more anxiety. And now you're caught in this loop. And there is something I really want to add if it's okay. I know I'm talking yeah, a lot. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, go ahead. So Great. once you're in that loop, the feelings will continue to drive that kind of thinking until you soothe the feelings. But it's a little hard to soothe the feelings when the thoughts are activated because the thoughts keep triggering more feelings. Mm. So we're in a loop. Now, it is not impossible to soothe this loop at all. In fact, it's not even hard. But it does require a kind of a non-intuitive intervention 
you cannot think your way out of this. You cannot, you can't journal your way out of it. You can, this is why Abraham likes to say, you know what? It's like when you've fallen out of a plane, you don't have a parachute. Yeah. Don't worry, it'll be over soon. And then they say, go to bed and wake up the next morning. Now, and you have a chance again. And I'm going to say, whatever will soothe you will give you the chance at an intervention. But if you just soothe yourself and don't seize the moment of being soothed for redirecting your thinking, then you'll just get into a cycle of soothing and getting activated. And that's why people do things like drink heavily and stuff like that. Cause the drinking soothes them for sure, you mm, know, mm, mm. but unfortunately, as soon as the drinking wears off, the, the thoughts haven't changed and off you go again. And you know, we all know how that cycle can accelerate. And it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't have to be drink it can be exercise, it can be going to work, workaholic, same deal. You're sort of shutting down your feelings, soothing in a way that it, it's not, bad at first but because then you don't seize that moment of being soothed to redirect your thinking then the thinking just accelerates again now you need soothing again and then suddenly you have an addiction or a problem yeah yeah Yeah. so we have to understand how to intervene in that cycle and that's another thing that i teach it can take a little while to get that i have noticed but i've been working like i said about 18 years now to develop techniques to help people get that faster and faster (laughs) brilliant Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us because it's absolutely fascinating and it's nice to hear someone else's, uh, you know, take on techniques and, and, and the techniques that you teach yourself. So that's lovely. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Can I ask you, Mary, who has been your biggest um, inspiration spiritually? Would it be Abraham or is there somebody else there in the background who would have inspired you spiritually? Well, my biggest teacher has been Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh is a Zen Buddhist monk for anyone who doesn't know and he's still alive although he doesn't teach anymore because he had a stroke about six years ago but he's 93 now I think and um, he taught a version teaches he taught a version of mindfulness that was based in Buddhism but pulled out of Buddhism and made into something that was uh, accessible by anyone and when I found that teaching, I had been struggling for a lot of years with despair and depression and hopelessness and powerlessness and suicidal ideation. And um, this was before I was a therapist or anything. And um, the first intervention that really, really worked for me in, in more than just a weekend or whatever was mindfulness. And the way he taught it at this very pragmatic Um, way of simply practicing mindfulness of tiny, tiny things, taught me how to recover and come back to myself. And that was the beginning of of having enough self-connection in the moment to have a clue about what the hell to do. So I don't know if you can see, but this calligraphy right here, that says, breathe, my dear. That's actually painted by Thich Nhat Hanh. Wow, I, um, yeah, I got that my very first visit, visit to Plum Village, uh, which is the monastery he founded in France. And um, uh, that, that trip, which was the first time I'd ever done a serious mindfulness practice, um, I practiced this stopping to take three breaths thing that they recommend you do um, when there's a bell. And every time you hear a bell, you stop and you take three breaths. And I did it very, very, very seriously. Yeah. And by the end of the five days I was there, I felt literally transformed by that practice. And I now teach that practice, of course. And um, 
these small interventions. So he was my first really major teacher. Uh, but Abraham, when I came to Abraham, it was just maybe five years ago or something like that. I was ready for something a little less grounded in science in the present moment and more connected to this larger experience of the universe that I had existed. And the first time I heard Abraham, I was like, oh, great. Someone who gets it. Yeah. I, right away, I was like, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Yeah. So, is that how you met Ramona Gailey? Yeah, we met um, right about the same time. We, we we found Abraham right about the same time, yeah. maybe a that year or something. Yeah. Yes, and what happened was I... Uh, we should thank her, by the way, for the introduction. So thank you, Ramona, for the introduction. Yeah, exactly. So Ramona and I were right at the beginning of our understanding of Abraham, and I heard an Abraham thing, said, get up every single morning and just start with, um, happy thoughts, you know, just lay in the mood your bed and relish your pillow. Yeah. And so I ask, thought, right. Ask. <laughs> yeah. And they said, do it for 30 days and your life will transform. I said, all right, I'll try that. I'll try anything. So I tried it and I didn't realize until that moment, cause I already done a lot of healing work on myself. I didn't realize until that moment, just how negative my thinking habits were. Mm. And I found I couldn't do it. I tried to do it for 30 days and I succeeded like three times and I was shocked because I was already quite happy quite successful quite but there was this sort of negative habit of thinking running in the background when I became aware of it, I said oh my god so I thought all right I'm gonna do another 30 days and I I upped the ante I got myself a little notebook and you could flip up upside down and I wrote a little note on it and I set it on my clock so the first thing I saw after I looked at the clock in the morning was this thing, and it would say some positive statement for the day. I was determined I'm going to catch the first moment in the morning. And then, so doing it really diligently the second time around, I, excuse me, I managed to do it, I think maybe like eight days or something, you know, it still was a yeah. very small number. And then I thought, wow, if this is so hard for me, yeah. <laughs> I can't be the only one. And so that, that was when I decided to start a, the group on Facebook called Blissipline, where we would practice the Blissipline of turning the direction of our thoughts. And so I, um, I started it and Ramona joined the group. Ah. And so right away we started bonding. And then at some point I started another group, I called it Vortex Stories. And I said, people getting together to tell positive stories. And Ramona posted in, in that group, I'd like to do it. And because I'm the admin of the group and have godlike powers, I immediately deleted her comments so no one else could see it. And I wrote to her and said, I want you to be my partner. Wow. <laughs> and she said, okay. And so that was, I actually think that was five years. Oh, I don't know how long. Okay. So do you own that page together or that group together then? No, no, it's just mine. But um, we, we started meeting every morning, five, six days a week and doing practicing affirmations six days a week in the morning, practicing vortex stories. Wow. Yes, we did that for about two and a half years and then we took a break and then we started again. So we both took it very seriously. And I think if either one of us had not had that kind of reinforcement, we wouldn't have had the growth that we've had in the last few years, which has been incredible. Yes, yeah. Oh, that's amazing, wow. Yeah. Actually, that was one of my questions to you. You have a practice called Blissipline. Could you explain yeah. it to the listeners? Yeah, yeah. It's really what we said at the very beginning, Ali, that there is a discipline. Yeah. It should be a discipline of bliss. It should not, like if you're going to the gym, do not discipline yourself to go to the gym. Discipline yourself. And if you can't, 
then find another form, you know? So the discipline is the commitment to finding ways, that, things that make you happy. Yes, perfect. The commitment to choosing thoughts that make you happy. The commitment to honoring your preferences and finding a way. So that's the commitment. So discipline. Brilliant. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Love it. <laughs> the computer didn't like the word discipline when I talked about it. No, it's a tricky one. <laughs> okay. Um, so that that is one of the free resources as well um, as the other process you spoke about that's on your website. But we'll give you all your details at the very end. Yeah, yeah. Well, you also have an ebook, Mary, called Break Through Your Personal Glass Ceiling. Yes. Would you tell the listeners, if you would, what this ebook is about and what areas in their life it would be good to put the practices that you have inside of it into place for? Yes, yes. This comes back to that thing that you said, when you're here and you're here. So oh. we all have a personal glass ceiling, a personal thing that we bump up against again and again and again, and for whatever reason we can't break through. And um, whatever the external reasons are, or even internal reasons like self-trust, belief, whatever, education, whatever those are, they would be dealt with by us if our mindset on the issue weren't supporting the failure to move forward. It's sort of that Henry Ford thing. If you think you can do a thing or you think you can't do a thing, you're right. Mm -hmm. That's what he said. Yeah. And so breaking through your own personal glass ceiling means grabbing a hold of this thought feeling pattern that is driving your sense of failure on the topic. And so in the breakthrough book, I draw these little pictures that try and illustrate what happens in this cycle of thoughts and feelings and how to break out of it. Wonderful. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Well, I could sit here and talk to you all day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having fun too. <laughs> um, have you got one piece of advice that you would like to leave the listeners with? Something that you've come across in your life that you've you know, put into practice that's helped you along your way, aside from the practices we've been talking about. Have you got some other little piece of advice that you'd like to give? Yeah, actually, this is something I've been trying to remind myself to never leave off the table when I'm talking. And even today, I haven't remembered it yet. So this is the next, um, um, next development for me is to make sure I always get this. I want everybody to know you have inner guidance. You really do. And no one no one, no matter how brilliant they are, has access to as much brilliance as your inner guidance does. Um, and that doesn't mean people can't help you. You know, if you have a plumbing problem, by all means, call a plumber. And if you can't figure out how to figure out your thoughts and feelings, how they relate, talk to someone who understands that. But all of that, every support you get will be accelerated by a millionfold if you will begin to contact your inner guidance and it is always there for you it is always trying to communicate with you and you don't it doesn't matter what you call it one of my clients calls her inner guidance maurice <laughs> um and it does you don't have to think of it as a person you can understand it as your own intuition intuition or knowing it doesn't matter how you perceive it what matters is that you connect with it in a way that works for you and if you, there are a million billion ways to do this, a million billion, and if someone says to you, do this, and you believe in it, but it doesn't work for you, don't do that. Find something else. Trust that your inner guidance, if you give it a chance, 
will draw you to the exact practitioner or the exact website or the exact book or the exact, you know, billboard. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was trusting my inner guidance really deliberately for a few years. I have a book over there called um, The Buddha's Little Messages, or I don't know what it's called. It's got one little quote per day. Yeah. And I would just open it to that page. This was actually in my 30s. This was 20 some years ago. I would open it to that page and I would just go by whatever that was for the entire day. I would just trust it. Yeah. It was a really good practice. And so I got in the habit of reaching for it anywhere I wanted it. Well, one day I was in a fight with someone, not a fight, fight, you know, fight. And uh, I was in an argument with someone. I was really angry and I was looking for guidance, you know, and I got my meditation cushion. I went and sat down and you know how good that is meditating in fury. And, um, and there was a bookshelf right there, which was mine and shared with someone else, but I didn't really know what was on it. And I thought, all right, I just need a piece of, a little piece of guidance from the universe. So I reached over and I pulled something off the bookshelf to get my piece of guidance. And hilariously enough, what I had pulled off was not a book. It was a box of henna hair coloring. (laughs) (laughs) But by then I had practiced this enough that I said, all right, I trust I trust the entire universe is lining this up for me or my inner guidance will brought me to that for a reason. Mm. So I thought, all right, there's bound to be a message on this. So I looked at it and along the spine, there were these little tiny instructions that said in that funny sort of pigeon English that's been translated, right? It said, for best results, time and patience. Oh, it said time and patience will yield the best results. (laughs) I was like, all right, that's correct. I just, I felt the truth of it in this interaction with this person that I needed to give it time. I needed to give it patience. I just had to slow down. I would translate that now as letting my nervous system settle, you know? Yeah. But what has happened to me over the years is I've developed such trust in that inner guidance, finding the stupid box that contains the data that will help me in that moment, that that is a massively transformative piece. And even though you can't think your way to that, your guidance is seeking to connect with you. So if you just reach out, it'll reach back somehow through a henna box, anything that feels right to you. You can use tarot cards, you can use the I Ching, you can look for signs out in the universe, look for billboards. But if you're looking and really saying, I know this is true, somehow I'm going to connect, it'll find you. And then it'll guide you to the best practices for you, the best practitioner, the best process, the best whatever. So that's my... Perfect. Love that story. What a fantastic story. And the universe always, always has our back as well. Always, because we are the universe. Yeah, exactly. It is us. Our well-being is assured. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. So connect with your inner being, everybody. Uh, your inner guidance, your higher self, source, God, the universe, whatever you like to call it. But that's a perfect piece of advice from Mary. So thank you for that, Mary. Welcome. Love it. Um, Lastly, Mary, I'd like for you, if you would, to let listeners know what services exactly that you provide and where people can reach you if they'd like to get hold of you um, for your services. I will. I will. Thank you. So, um, well, first of all, I have a website, marycordelia.com. And um, there, I try, I'm pretty good at keeping it updated. So for example, right now on the front page, there's a little button that will take you to the class I'm offering. And so I have a free class today, and I don't know when this will go up, but also next week. And so um, 
so people can come and join that where I'll teach some of these techniques that I am talking about today. And again, we'll do them together. We'll experience them together. So my, my sort of motto is you rock it till you grok it. You keep doing it until you get it in your body. So, um, um, and can I just ask you, cause this won't, won't be going out for a few weeks. I'll, I'll talk to you about that at the end when we finished up, but okay, great. Um, do you, you do these kind of things on a regular basis, don't you? On a regular basis. Yeah. And there's always a little button on the top front page that'll just connect to whatever's current. Brilliant. Yeah. 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 And so I do, I create um, online courses now. See, my intention is to make this as accessible as possible to as many people. So I've done in-person one-on-one sessions and live courses for years, but I teach online courses now so that more people have access to it. And I also do one-on-one consultations where we do specifically somatic experiencing trauma healing practices. And honestly, I find the two go best together. If you have a class and a community supporting your understanding, then we can sneak in a few one-on-one sessions here and there and accelerate it, but you don't have to like go into weeks and years and months of ongoing work. So I do one-on-one work and group work and everything's accessible through my website. Okay. And do you want to just give the link for your website? Yes. It is marycordelia.com. So shall I spell it? No. I actually do. It's M-A-R-Y, like Mary, and then Cordelia is C as in cat, O-R-D as in dog, E-L-I-A, Mary Cordelia. Perfect, and we will add the links to um, the podcast and underneath the YouTube video for that as well. Well, that's absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much, Mary. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you here today. So thank you so much for being with us. Such a pleasure, Ali. I'm really glad to have met you. Thank you. And likewise. And so we'll say goodbye to the listeners for now. Namaste. And we will see you on the next episode. Thanks for watching and listening.